0: All right. Our scripture reading this morning is from Genesis chapter one, verses one and two. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void; darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Well, let me add a, a welcome to you as well. My name is, is Tim, and I serve as one of the pastors here, and. Yeah, we're continuing our series on Genesis uh, 1 this morning, so I want to pray for us, and then we will jump into Genesis 1. Let's pray. Uh, Father, we open your word to, to have you speak truth into, into our lives, into our existence, into, into the real world. And so, God, open your, your word to us, open our eyes, our hearts, our ears to hear you, we ask in Jesus' name, amen. amen. Well, if you were here last week, I, I want to start in the same place I started um, last week on Genesis 1, uh, one, which is, <clears throat> I'm in my mid-30s now, which means I'm, I'm, a, I'm a ways out of high school. And I've just noticed a lot of my friends who, I, who in high school had deep Christian faith or, or appeared to have deep Christian faith, um, now they don't. Uh, friends I went to church with, friends that I spent Friday mornings in FCA with, friends that I, I prayed with, uh, no longer have faith. And, and the reason why I want to bring it up again is because there's, there's been a very like a very like similar trend in many of those stories, which is, for many of them, uh, when they got to college or when they began to, to look at Genesis 1, the creation narrative in light of, of the scientific evidence we have, uh, faith no longer seemed credible. Uh, and the reason I know that is because, you know, this is the same time, like, Facebook was becoming popular, and so uh, a lot of my friends, they would, as they were, you know, transitioning out of being Christians, they would, like, they would have a lot of posts about science, and they're, like, even if you go on Facebook, there's lots of posts or lots of groups about, like, how much people love science. And and so I would watch their posts. I would see their posts, the interactions happening. And what was clear is any time there was a conversation happening, like, Genesis 1 is like just sort of ridiculous, right? It's just embarrassing. And one example, you know, a, t- a typical uh, kind of gotcha moment. Is you know, if you read through uh, all of Genesis one, in day one God creates the light in the darkness, but in day four God creates the sun, the moon, and the stars. And some people point out, like you know, there's how was there light without a sun, right? The sun was created after light. That doesn't make any sense. So Genesis one is ridiculous. And that's like that's the sort of stuff that would come out. And the, uh, the, the theme being though that you can't. Like believe in Genesis one and like be intellectually credible, All right? This text is, or at least I felt like as I engaged those conversations, it's like, can I? Like, can my view be taken seriously? Is it? Should it be taken seriously? And I know, like most of you in here, you've had those experiences. Whether it's it's at school going to biology class, whether it's in conversation with someone you love or know, and Genesis one is is like a punchline, or you're in. Your vocation has you in, in act, like, encountering the sciences and people who love science. And, and the, like, the idea that the Bible and science can live together is, just, like, everyone just kind of rejects that idea. And the idea that Genesis 1 is, like, an intellectually satisfying uh, cr- account of creation, like, most people in our world around us who aren't in church this morning would just, like, they would completely dismiss that idea. So here's what I want to do this morning. I want I want you to see that Genesis one. Uh, you you do not have to be embarrassed by this text. That you can go to school. Uh, well, not tomorrow because you're on spring break, right? But but you can go to school whenever you go back uh, into your biology class held held high. If your vocation is in the sciences and you engage the sciences, um, you can go there intellectually credible. I. I I think Genesis 1 is the most intellectually satisfying, heart-captivating account of creation that there is. and I want to talk about that this morning, but, but the way I want to do that is, I'm, listen, I'm going to disappoint some of you this morning, because I want I want to look at Genesis 1 the way that God revealed himself in Genesis 1 um, to be. And, and oftentimes, I think Christians, we like to have our own kind of inside insider Christian debates around Genesis 1, right? How long, how old is the day, and how old is the universe, and... You know what's what are the mechanics of creation and and like just like Genesis one doesn't really care about those things. It cares about who created, right? God, period. No one else. It it's why he created. We'll get into some of that this morning. It's what he created. That's 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 the morning. But in terms of of all the other questions. there's lots of room for conversation. And I don't like, we could have a sermon about those things, and it would, it would be interesting. Um, but I, I think the reason why so many people find the, the Christian account of creation so dissatisfying is because this is where we spend all our time. And we miss the, the bigness of Genesis 1, what Moses, who I think wrote this, was trying to convey to the people that first re- read it. And so we spend all our time over here, and, and the world has sort of said, we're not interested in that. When there's this beautiful, intellectually satisfying, heart captivating account of creation that we miss, and I don't want to miss it this morning. So if you were like, "Oh, I'm going to finally figure out how long a day is," uh, sorry, <laughs> you're disappointed. Be disappointed. But I think there's something better um, here. And what I want to what I want to say is, is three things about creation, and I want to draw out like why these things matter for us. And as as God reveals Himself as Creator, there's three things about creation that are all over the whole chapter of Genesis 1, which is that creation, is it's intentional. Uh, creation is ordered and creation is personal. I'm going to dive into what that means. So first, creation is is intentional. And, and this was last week's sermon. Last week's sermon in a sentence was only one God created. And everything exists because one God created everything. So everything in this world is the, it's the idea of one God and so right away we have a major conflict with our culture's like uh, primary uh, creation accounts of how we got here right the primary cultural story is atheistic evolution right there's no God we you know through natural selection we evolved and this is how this is how we got here and so right away in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth we have a conflict so what do we do with it uh, well, Andy Crouch, uh, a Christian thinker and an author, he's come to Christ's Community actually a, a couple of different times. Uh, about a year and a half ago, he wrote this really provocative essay on Christianity and science, and here's how he starts the article. I love this. The very best time to be an intellectually satisfied atheist was 100 years ago, circa 1917, and it has been getting gradually harder ever since. And second, 100 years from now, circa 2117, it's entirely possible that the most intellectually coherent account of the cosmos on on the basis of all that we know will be in deep continuity with biblical Trinitarian faith. This this is a provocative statement, and he he spends a long time unpacking it, which I'm not going to do, but there is one line of argument that he uses that I want to push into because it's right from Genesis 1. Which is that a hundred years ago, if you had lived, uh, you know, if you're early 1900s, if you lived in that time, uh, the scientific consensus was that the universe had no origin, and that it's like matter, our the Earth, our existence is eternal. It goes back into to eternity past, and we're governed by a few laws, and those laws eventually gave rise to life, and the life eventually evolved into what we know it as today. But the, the prime thing being, there was no there was no origin to the universe. Every scientist believed that. Every scientist taught that, um, pointing to the fact the universe has no origin. Well, fast forward 100 years today, and scientific consensus is the exact reverse. The universe did have an origin. Um, If you talk to a scientist today, they would say, yes, there was a point in in history past where the universe began, where there was no universe, and then something happened, and then there was a universe. Big Bang Theory, whatever you want to say, there was was an origin to the universe, which of course, like, that's Genesis 1-1. In the beginning... God created the heavens and the earth. And so Genesis 1 now explicitly makes the case of an origin of the universe. But if, if you had lived 100 years ago, like that would have been a real tension point between science and the scriptures. But it's not anymore. In fact, it's not just not a tension point. It's actually uh, the idea that the universe had an origin is a very compelling uh, connection to Genesis 1 because it's not just that God you know created the universe but the way he created it is important so that uh, verse 1 when it says god created the hebrew word there for create is bara and the word bara for create is only used of god through all of the hebrew bible it's never used of anyone else Right? So when I create as a human being, I create differently. Right? I take things that already exist and I make them into something else. Right, So if I, if I make a peanut butter and jelly sandwich, I grab the bread, then I grab the peanut butter, then I grab the jelly, I put peanut butter on both sli- slices of bread. I don't know if you know this, this is the proper way to make a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. Both slices of bread, the peanut butter goes on. Then you put jelly on and then I have my sandwich. But I took all things that already existed and then I created the ri- like the, a, a sandwich. That's not how God creates. God burrows and he's the only one who does this. And when God creates, as Genesis 1 lays out, and God said, He speaks, and something that wasn't now is, right? Something that didn't exist now exists. And that that's what scientists say, that's how the universe started now, is there was nothing, and then there was something. And we can debate about the cause, but what we're no longer debating about is did the universe have a starting place, an origin? And Crouch goes on to, to list a few other ways how the scientific consensus has changed. And I want to be clear. Like, I, I don't want you to hear me overstating the case, that there's no tension points between science and Genesis 1 or science and the Scriptures um, <clears throat> today. That, that's not the case. Um, and yet, what I, what I want to say is, what, like, what would 100 years bring? What, what might change in the next 100 years? What, what Crouch is asking. <clears throat> so here, here's my point. Is that your minds can believe this? Genesis, you can be an, an intellectually satisfied Christian, still with questions, still with uncertainties, and yet you don't have to shut your brain off to be a Christian. Bring your bring your questions, bring your doubts, bring your bring the scientific evidence that is in conflict with the Genesis story. Do that, like think that out. You don't have to shut your mind off. Your mind can believe. This. And there, there are a handful of ways that Christians, very thoughtful Christians, have taken both what we have in the scientific evidence and what we have from Genesis 1, uh, from a creation narrative, and thought out a way to, to, for those two things to exist coherently, a handful of, of ways. And it'd be a really interesting sermon to go through all those handful of ways and to tell you, this is what I think, and this is what I think the right answer. But we're, that's not the sermon. And so instead of saying, here are the handful of ways you might do this, um, there are lots of people who do that far better than me anyway. Um, There are some boundaries, though, that you as you're as you're thinking out the scientific evidence in the scriptures. There are a few boundaries, and that's what I want to talk about just briefly. And the first boundary is as you think out. Okay, the science says this. Genesis one says this. How do they how do these things live together? Four boundaries. One is uh, scripture must always retain the place of authority. That look at the scientific evidence and look at the Bible and what the Bible's saying, and where there's conflict, the Bible should always win. Now, sometimes, like it means we should actually go back and look at the scriptures. Are we reading them properly? Are we understanding them right? Um, but if when there's conflict, the scriptures should win. And one reason is, listen, hundred years ago, if you had said, "Listen, the scientific evidence says the universe has no origin," so we have to stop believing Genesis one one. If you just waited fifty years, like you would have been in much better, better shape. And and so I think sometimes we overplay scientific consensus, or we think, "Well, humans saw this, and we now know with absolute certainty this is the." Listen, there are things that's certainly true of. Um, and, yeah, often, like, science is, is more complicated than that. And so when, when there's conflict, right, when there's tension, um, trust the Scriptures. Don't, that doesn't mean shut the science out. doesn't mean don't, the science is dumb, right? That's, that's not what we're saying. To look at them both, full eyes open. But when there's conflict and there's tension and you can't resolve it, uh, don't give up on the Scriptures. That's boundary one. Uh, boundary two, which I already spoke to a second ago, is that creation happened ex nihilo, which means from nothing, Right? So there wasn't like God was over here and matter and the world was over here, and God and matter like wrestled it out, and we ended up with, no, God existed from eternity, and nothing else. And then He spoke and he created the world. And so everything is a creation except for God, who is the creator. There's a fundamental distinction between creator and creation. That's really important. That's a boundary. Uh, boundary three is a material creation is good. Right? So people who would say like you know this thing is evil because it's from the world, well the world's not evil itself. it's good. Material creation is good. We'll talk more about that later. And the fourth boundary is uh, that God created two human beings that were a representative of humanity that their their fall led to the brokenness of this world, this creation. right So in the beginning, there was an Adam and Eve. There was there were two human beings that were representatives of the earth and because they rebelled against God's rule, uh, the goodness and, and beauty of this creation was broken in some way that we're now living. And obviously, like there's so much more I could say about that, and should. And there's lots of people who've said better things than I would say about those things. I, I just want to make my case again. I, like that's I don't want the sermon that says we have to believe in X, Y, Z in light of Genesis one when Genesis one doesn't to me land clearly on some of those things. I want to I want to stay with what we're clear and what we're clear with is that creation is the intentional act of one creator God who creates everything, everything that exists, and that the universe had an origin, and that origin was Genesis 1.1, 1, 1, in the beginning, God. Your mind can believe this. Creation's intentional. That, that's point one. Uh, secondly, then creation, it's, it's, it's ordered. And I want to go back again to verse 2 in Genesis 1, because this sort of sets the frame uh, for the rest of Genesis chapter 1. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And so what we're told is that the earth is, is without form and, and void. And that's that's a Hebrew word pair that, that goes together a lot. Uh, w- without form and void. So the, the two Hebrew words there are tohu and vohu. And the reason that's important is because then the rest of Genesis 1. God's going to address those two things with his creation. So days one through three address the tohu, the lack of order. And days four through six address the vohu, the emptiness, the void. So here's how that plays out. Days one through three give form and order to creation. They address the tohu. So in day one, uh, we, there's only darkness, right? Darkness is over the face of the deep. Well, So what God does is he creates light in darkness. He creates morning and evening. He creates day and And night, he gives order to this this world, this creation. So we have a day, we have night, we have morning. And day two, God gives orders to the waters. And the way Hebrews, the Hebrews understood the universe was, you know, you have the waters above, the skies, and the waters below, the seas. And so God separates those two things, gives them order. There's waters above, there's waters below. And then day three, uh, God takes this earth, he separates the land from the sea. He gives order to this creation, order to our existence. So that, he addresses the tohu, right? There's now lights and darkness. There's waters above, waters below. There's dry land, there's sea. And then days four uh, through six, they they address the Vohu. They address the void, the emptiness. So day four, uh, instead of just having light and darkness, now God get, creates things to create the light and darkness. So he creates the sun, the moon, and the stars in day, day four. And so here we can draw back into our quick Facebook side note. So All the, you know, smarty little people who are like, well, day four, God creates the sun, but there was light in day one. How'd that happen? Well, the Bible actually, it actually talks about that if you want to read it. And what it does is um, in the Bible, God is actually the light. And so if you fast forward to Revelation 21, in the new heavens and new earth, we read this. Uh, They, those who are uh, in God's, who are God's people in the new heavens and new earth, uh, they will need no lights or lamp of sun or of lamp or sun for the Lord God will be their lights. And they will reign forever and ever. So God is the sun. Uh, earlier, Psalm thirty-six we read as our call to worship. That psalm is reflecting on God's goodness pervading creation. And the last line we read was, "By your lights, by God, the light of God, we see light. And that tracks with what we talked about last week with Genesis one fourteen, where God says the sun is a sign that points to a reality beyond itself. Right? The sun, the sun isn't just a light. It's just a. Fl- I mean, it is a flaming ball of gas, but it's more than that it points to a reality beyond itself and and throughout the biblical storyline uh, God is light and the only reason the sun is light is because the sun was created by God there's this direct parallel line so when you read in day 1 there was only light and darkness but in day 4 there was that's not problematic in the biblical storyline because God is light and God doesn't need a sun but he made one to give us light and when you and I look at the sun which you don't look at the sun but you know metaphorically look at the sun uh, that is that's a, a sign of the creator Who's giving you light? Right? And after this, the last three months of this winter, like that, should sing, right? We need light. Uh, that's God who's giving that to you. Right? Which is again why should we just be so cautious to read Genesis 1 as a as a biology textbook? It's not. It's 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 entering into a biblical storyline and saying things that are far more profound and important than just, you know, day one was this, and day two was this, and day three was this. So day four. The, the void is given a sun, a moon, and stars. In day five, the waters above, the skies and the waters below, are filled with creatures. They're given beings, inhabitants, birds, and fish. Um, and in day six, the, the void of the, the dry land is filled. Animals are placed there, and human beings are created. And that's, that's next week's sermon, unless the human being that is about to uh, come out of my wife. There's got to be a better way to say that. We're having a baby. It may come this week. And in that case, the human sermon's not for a couple more weeks uh, if the, the human being about to be born in my family is born uh, this week. Just forget that. Um, so anyway, days, days one through three address the Tohu. Days four through six address the Vohu. And, and so here's the Genesis 1 is asking the hearers of its day and, and us today a question. Which, remember, everyone in Genesis 1 of that day, the, the creation narratives they were given was that the, the reason the world exists is because a bunch of different gods duked it out and fought it out, and because of that war, that violence, that, that you know, the, all of that, the world exists, right? We're the product of violence. We're the product of the gods going to war with one another, which is very similar to our own creation narrative that we tell in our culture just without the gods, right, is how did we get here? Well, we got here through natural selection, through those with weaker genetic uh, genetics being you know, cut out of the gene pool, and those with stronger you know, rising to the top, right? It's death, it's violence, it's, that's how we got here. And so Genesis 1 is asking anyone uh, you know, who has their own creation narrative, which is strangely similar, regardless whether there's lots of gods or no gods involved, uh, it's asking us a question, which is, what makes better sense of the world you and I experience? Is this world a product of a of a war gone bad, of gods gone wild, of blind chance and natural selection, and the rejection of weaker beings for stronger beings? Does that make better sense of the world in which you and I live, or is like is an did an artist make this place a creator? So you don't, have to be in Genesis, or you don't have to be embarrassed by Genesis 1, not just because I think you can be an intellectually satisfied Christian, but also because you can experience this. You can experience the truth of Genesis 1 if you're willing to, to look. And one of the best places to, look, to learn how to look is it's the book uh, Pilgrim at Tinker Creek by Annie Dillard. And in that, in that book, all she does basically is just she just looks at the world around her and takes it in in this powerful uh, imagery. I mean, what a Pulitzer Prize! And she says that all around us there is gratuitous beauty, right? Goodness, beauty that you like don't deserve, that shouldn't be given to you. That's there if you're willing, if you're willing to look. And she, she illustrates this uh, in this way. She tells uh, the story of how when she was a kid, she used to like to uh, um, like take a penny and hide it somewhere. And then she would go and draw, like, arrows with chalk to the penny and just hoping, like, someone would come upon the penny and they would see. It. And there's this, this money, this gift there uh, that, that, that someone was left for that person, right? And she said, that's what the universe is. If you're willing to look, all around you, there's, there's gifts. There's, pla- there's, there's beauty that's hidden for you if, you if you pay attention. And so she tells uh, the story of this time coming around the corner in, in the town that she lived in and this bird that she, she just happened to see uh, drop four stories, Right? It looks like it's about to hit the ground and die, and it drops four stories. And then at the moment of, you know, when it's supposed to, to go away, it, it spreads its wing, and it takes off in in flight. And she said, like, if it had been a second later, um, coming around that corner, she would never uh, have seen it. <laughs> and yet here is this gift, this penny, right, dropped in the unit, like, for her to see, for her to experience. And there is a lot of gratuitous beauty around us, if you're willing to so look, and that that's a part of what Genesis 1 is saying, is, is the refrain of Genesis 1, the re- the repetition of language, if you read through it, is every day starts with, and God said, right, So creation is his spoken word, He's speaking something new into existence, and God said, and then later down, and God saw that it was good. This this world is good. There's there's beauty all around us. And so think this out with me: this world, everything around you, every tree. Every sunset, every human being is is God's spoken word. His story, his creation, his narrative, his poem. One of my favorite authors, Indy Wilson, he captures Genesis 1 and what's happening here like this. This is, in the Christian story, the material world came into existence at the point of speech. And that speech was ex nihilo, from nothing. God did not look around for some cosmic goo to sculpt or another god to dice and recycle. He sang a song, composed a poem, began a novel so enormous that even the Russians are dwarfed by its heaped up pages. You are spoken, I am spoken, we stand on a spoken stage. This world is a spoken place, which means everything that you have ever experienced is a spoken word directly from God. Every good thing that you have ever drank, every good thing that you have ever eaten, every mountain that you've climbed, every sunset that you have Instagrammed, every, every piece of beauty, every penny dropped on the sidewalk for you, that is a gift from God because he made this place good. And if you're willing to look, you can experience the truth of Genesis 1. That This, is, this just doesn't feel like the place of a, of a bad war, right? Or, or violence, or this, like the rejection of the weak. This this feels like a different place than that. And so, if if you want to live into that, if you want to make this true for yourself, uh, this this evening, right, Genesis one calls us to, to be people of gratitude. So this evening, before your bed, if you're uh, if you have kids that are old enough to do this, spend time in gratitude. Right, gratitude is, is a virtue I'm not sure exists very strongly in our own um, culture. And I, and I say that because I remember being a church uh, being in church as a kid growing up, and our pastor said one Sunday you know, tonight when you, you know, go to bed, A to Z, the alphabet, um, every letter, thank God for something, right? So apples, you know, God, thank you for apples, A, you know, something with B. And I don't remember how far I got in that night. I think I got, I know I got to G for golf. I know I got that far. Um, I'm not sure I got much further than that, but I like, I was just, it was just like, what do I thank God for? And I was blocked, (laughs) And listen, now, thankfully, this lack of gratitude doesn't go very far because this week we were, we were getting our kids ready for bed, and my middle son, Micah, he was just like, he was staring out the window um, really intently, and I, I was trying to get his attention, and I was like, Micah. And he did not move, and I was only a few feet from him, and I called his name out again, Micah. And he's like, I mean, he's just locked in on something outside. And a third, you know, I say his name at a, at a voice, at a level I won't say here, because I need to get his attention. And he finally looks at me like, like dazed, like startled. And I was like, what are you looking at? And he was he was just staring intently at the at the sunset, at the sun uh, going down, all of the colors. He is his mother's son. He was locked in on <laughs> the latest penny being dropped for, for he was receiving it in gratitude. God's latest word, his latest creation, full of presence, full of gratitude in that moment. And listen, if you're willing to... To stop staring at a screen, um, and look at a spoken world around you, Um, Genesis one becomes much more believable. You can experience this. Creation it's it's ordered. It's intentional. It's a spoken word by a creator, being. Um, And thirdly, and I would say mostly importantly, uh, creation is personal. Right, so so Genesis one two, it, you know, we get the tohu the bohu, that's a dress. But the last line of Genesis one two is it is it is really fascinating. Which is the spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters, and the language there is of an eagle that that's sort of you know hovering over its young, keeping watch, nurturing, caring. Which like again, like this is so different than every other creation narrative that you if you read ancient Near Eastern creation narratives, gods are not you know, flying around like eagles, nurturing. They're, they're fighting one another. It's violent. It's, it's awful. And you hear in Genesis 1, too, God is It's personal, right? He's, it's like a mother over its young. It's, it's, he's nurturing. He's caring. He's involved. It's, it's deeply, deeply personal. And so Andy Crouch, in the article we started in this morning, you know, another line of argument he takes is that, that you know, many scientists are beginning to see that this universe has a, a deeply personal order to it. Zuckrouch writes, evolutionary biologist Jeffrey Schloss traces the ways that life becomes more and more relational over time, more and more deeply capable of recognizing and bonding to one another, and ultimately more and more capable of altruism, sacrifice, and love. Right? We, see sac- we see people sacrificing for one another, and we think, yeah, like, that's beautiful. We see love, and we think that's, like, that's really powerful, Um, But, Crouch would say, if you don't believe in a creator like that, the personal nature of the universe creates a problem. So we ask these questions. Is it it actually possible that an impersonal world could give rise to persons? Does it not make far more sense to suppose that such a world is in some mysterious way not just capable of personhood, but defined by it? Not just capable of life, but defined by it. By life. I mean, that's what Genesis one two is saying. Is it's not the reason we like love and, and beauty and you know sacrifice is so powerful is not because it's an accident. It's because the spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters, like that. The universe is is founded on love, on on nurture, on on care. And you look at this world, and that's what we all sense, right? This this place does not feel impersonal and governed by 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 chance and by um, you know, by 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 violence. It seems it seems, despite all the brokenness of it, to be governed by, by person, by love. So, listen, I've come a long way since, you know, being in my 20s and seeing my friends on Facebook mocking Genesis 1 and, and thinking that, you know, science, uh, apart from God, is a much more credible way of living and believing in this universe. But, listen, I, like, this is the most intellectually compelling heart-satisfying account of creation, and I am not threatened by any rival accounts anymore. And to be clear, like, this isn't a new problem for Christians. I think a lot of times we think, well, science, you know, that's a new problem. It's actually not. And, and one of the early church fathers, Augustine, uh, he wrestled with how the Genesis 1 creation narrative was different than the Greek and Roman narrative that he lived under, which was basically the same as the ancient nearest and with some, some twists and turns. But it was like, again, lots of gods, they fought with one another. They were, you know, trying to wrangle for control, for power, for influence. And Augustine, as he's thinking out Genesis 1 versus the Greek and, nar- Greek and Roman narratives of creation, you know, what he would say to, what he said to his broader culture was, listen, like, we all wanted a society of love and justice and peace. Well, if you think we got here through war and violence and God's fighting it out, like, how are, if you think the universe wasn't founded on love but was founded on this, how are we ever going to get to be a society of love, a society of justice? A society of of peace, and ultimately, like I was, the the predominant cultural narrative of creation that you and I live into, or that we that we encounter every day of our life in this world through advertisements, through our biology textbooks, all of like that 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 narrative ultimately is it does not satisfy the longings of our hearts, and there is no way you'll ever create a society of justice, love, or peace if if the foundation of of our creation. Is based on the idea that the weaker gets snuffed out so the stronger genetic can can rise. It doesn't work. You, you don't get to justice that You don't get to love, you don't get to sacrifice that way. And yet that's the society we want, right? That's the society we we long for. And, and when Uncle Scrooge and Christmas Carol, right, the people come asking for a donation to the poor, and, and Scrooge says, you know, well, I'm not giving to the poor. Why don't the poor should die, and, and that way the excess population, you know, goes away. Right, and we laugh at, at Scrooge because it's ridiculous, and yet that like our creation narrative—that's the that's the narrative, right—is the the poor die off so that the rest of us can can have the strong can have more of of the pie, and we mock that we mock that pers- for a reason, because this universe is personal. Right, it began with a song, it began with the Spirit of God hovering over the face of the waters. It begins with this refrain. Of and God said and it was good. And God said, and He saw that it was good. And God said, and God saw that it was good. This this creation account is what your heart longs for, is what my heart longs for. And every heart longs for this deeply personal, intentional, ordered creation of a God who made this place. And none of us live like anything else is true. All of us, when it when it comes down to it, all of us live like Genesis 1 is true. And I'll prove it to you. Uh, Maybe that's a little strong. I'll try to prove it to you. Uh, You know, last October, I ran a marathon with two of my friends, Gabe and Reed. Gabe, the downtown campus pastor. Reed, Olathe's campus pastor. Um, And we ran for for my son, Isaiah, who has Duchenne uh, muscular dystrophy. And Duchenne it's a genetic disease where uh, my son, uh, Isaiah, his muscles don't produce the, the protein dystrophin, which means when his muscles break down, instead of getting dystrophin and getting stronger, he gets, he gets weaker. So physically, I, my son is weaker than um, anyone his age and will continue to get weaker over, over time. And, and, and our running team, uh, the three of us and, and a few other people who are running for the organization we were running with, we raised over, over $50,000. People who were giving money to see a cure... And, and even as I was running that race, I ran by countless other people running for similar causes, for people that they had known or loved who, had, who were fighting or who died of cancer, who had, were fighting genetic diseases, who were raising Like I ran through hundreds, maybe thousands of people who were doing the same thing. And that race was, is a sign of two things. One is no one lives like like natural selection is the foundational principle of this universe. No one lives like that. Whether you believe in God or not, like you don't get... Uh, you know, thousands of people running a marathon, raising millions of dollars for the weak, if the foundation of the universe is that the, the weak genetic strand should go out and the strong should rise up. If that's the foundation of the universe, that race makes no sense. And why I ran that long makes no sense, right? Um, but it, it also, uh, right, the, the, the race isn't just a sign of, gosh, this story is completely not satisfying to our hearts, But it's also a reminder of what the problem is is there's something deeply wrong. Death and violence and chaos does seem to reign in this world, right? That if God was looking at our world today, he wouldn't say what he said in Genesis 1, is that that this is good. This is a good place. This is a very good place. This is a broken place. We know that. We're a long way from Genesis 1. We're a long way from the creation order that we read of in Genesis 1. And so what did God do? Right? He creates a perfect world, you know, in a couple of weeks we'll talk. We, we broke it. It's not good anymore the way it was. And so what did God do? He spoke again, right? John 1, in the beginning was the Word. He spoke again. He spoke Jesus into our existence. And I want the author, Andy Wilson, to yet again open our imaginations. He writes, God, he, he exists on two planes, He sees the story as he tells it while he weaves it, shapes it, and sings it. And he stepped inside it. The shadows, right, the evil, the suffering, the shadows exist in the painting. The dark corners of grief and trial and wickedness all exist so that he might step inside them so we could all see how low he could stoop. In this story, the author became flesh and wandered the stage with Hamlet, offering his own life. In this story, the author heaped up all that he loathed, all that displeased him, all the wrongness of this world, onto himself. Our hearts long for this. Your minds can believe this, and if if you're willing to look, you can experience this. So go watch a sunset. Go see a sunrise. Go look at the strange geography of the Flint Hills, and then drive a little further and see mountains tower above you the rockies and ask where did all this come from why are we here right like are we just chance violence god's duking it out the rejection of the weak so that the strong could rise up or is or a voice of love let's been speaking from eternity and calling you to himself let's pray Father, the, the truth of, of Genesis 1 is, is greatly contested all around us. And so, Lord, would you would you not turn our eyes away from that, those tension points or those questions or those doubts? But would you open our eyes to the longings of our heart and why, why so much of how we live leans right into this, this Genesis 1 world of a spoken creation from you, our God, who hovers over us with the concern of an eagle over its its children. And God, like we can't believe that without the Spirit like working on our hearts and opening our eyes, showing us the, the pennies you've placed all around us, the beauty you've placed all around us to show us this world was good, and it is spoken by you. Give us ears to hear, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.